Hey everybody, Jim Kerr here. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Indispensable um, Conversation. My guest today is none other than Donna Kennedy Glanz. She's an author, a keynote speaker. She's done some really important work in over 35 countries. She's worked in the public sector, the private sector, the nonprofit sector. All of this experience makes her the perfect guest to explore this question on the indispensable conversation. The question is this, is social polarization or apathy better for business? Hmm. Welcome, Donna. Oh, happy to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's so great to be able to finally get with you. I know we had some technical <laughs> difficulties last week, but really uh, uh, thrilled to have you on. I wanna jump right into that first question. Is social polarization or apathy better for business what do, what do you think <laughs> i think i think apathy is never a good thing it's so it, it, it you lose energy when you're apathetic polarization can be energizing it can be monstrous and that can actually move into entropy and and people not moving but apathy means you just don't do anything and i think that's always a bad thing yeah you know i've got to agree with you there was it brings to mind that jane um Goodell quote, you know, the greatest danger in our future is apathy, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's it just may be the greatest danger for business folks as well. well. Let me talk a little bit about what we mean by social polarization, because I know in prepping for our conversation, and I was talking with some colleagues, they were like, well, what do you mean by that? So I'm going to just give us a simple definition to work from and then we'll play around with, with what does all that mean. But I think it's there's a lack of an intersection between the beliefs and traits across different groups that causes polarization. So we have mm -hmm. polarization when, when, we've, when we lack that intersection. If we couple that with technology and the whole notion that we've got sort of an attention economy mm -hmm. where everything's got to be really small bites and that's all we can seem to mm -hmm. process lately, you've got this sort of sensationalism of these polar you know ideas and beliefs and that's and that further creates polarization and exaggerates it right yeah. um what, what, what's your take on it is that a good enough definition or am i missing something well i think we're actually it's good to talk about definitions because i think we need to define the problem and the problem is polarization i think there's nobody who's going to argue against that anymore jim we all know it's a problem it's a problem in politics it's a problem in business it's a problem in your family i mean think about covid and the masking questions so it, yeah. it crops up everywhere and, and now we have language to talk about it it's kind of like bullying do you remember when bullying was a thing yeah. we didn't talk about but then when we got the language and we could say oh you're the bully and you're the person being bullied and oh and you're the bystander and and you have a role in all this too right. i think we're getting to better languaging one of the other ways I describe what you just described is not just polarity, but people creating microcultures. Mm. And I think the fragmentation of society into even your business environment, you know, into little tiny, tiny, tiny and tinier boxes yeah. so that we can only talk to of you know a small number of people who have the same kind of interests and language that we do and i 
to me, that's the big, big slide down the hill with polarization is that we're, it's not just two sides, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're American, so you have two clear political sides. Canada, we're a little bit blurrier, but not much. But it's, <laughs> it's now uh, microcosms and, and, and microcultures. And my goodness, getting through that is really, really difficult. And, yeah. and if you're trying to run a business that way, wow, no diversity, Little tiny yeah. boxes doesn't work. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and I love the fact that you brought up that whole notion of microcultures. It's something that I work with quite a bit with my clients. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a lot in culture transformation. And what's really interesting, I'll just give kind of a mini example of what we're talking about here, but you can take any organization and you say, okay, it's got its culture, there's values, you know. Mm -hmm. My definition, I try to keep it simple, as you probably already know about me. So my definition mm -hmm. of culture is just about how the people within that group behave, right? right? So it's about behavior. When you think about microcultures inside a business, though, it's so fascinating to see, like, yeah, the marketing folks have a microculture. The engineering folks have a microculture. Manufacturing has another one. And you're trying to reconcile all that, find mm -hmm. common ground. Actually, going back to our definition of polarization, we're trying to find intersections right, that right, we can right. all agree on and then be able to build our business from there. Let, let me ask you a question, though, back to our topic. You know, is the resulting friction of all this, is, can that be leveraged by businesses to drive growth? Oh, no question. I mean, you get, you need energy. You need to have conflicting points of view. Uh, in fact, when I, I wrote this recent book called Teaching the Dinosaur to Dance, one of the tools in there is called an enterprise onion. And it's a way to intentionally go out and say to yourself as a team, and then to look outside your organization and say, okay, we all we all feel comfortable with this this opinion about this, you know, what's our What's our market? Um, where should we be heading? What kind of innovation is a priority? What's our unique space, our niche? Uh, you could get pretty trapped in your own thinking mighty quick. The best way to figure out the answer to that question and to energize it a bit, and it's turning up the heat and it's not always comfortable to hear other people's views on how you run your business. Um, you, you can ask, you don't have to make those decisions, but right. How do you do that? And why would you do that? So company like Lego, my kids love Lego. I had three sons. I have three sons still, but they don't play with Lego anymore. <laughs> but they played with Lego. How does Lego get new ideas? They go out to their customer base, the kids. And yeah. they say, "What you know, we have these ideas about what we think as a company, but we're not the ones buying these things and influencing decisions. So does everybody in Lego like these ideas? Of course not. Do, mm -hmm. Would they rather make the decisions from top down? Of course mm -hmm. they would, because mm -hmm. it's easier. But the energy that comes from the respectful, largely respectful debate about future innovation priorities, what to take off the table, I think that's a really big question. You know, what do we not do anymore? Mm. That's a that's an equally important question. It can be energized, but unleashing people's passion. I, I think that's the big upside for companies. And the minute you quell that by putting people in a box and tolerating polarization, I think is a problem. I think you've sure. lost energy. You've lost upside. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly within the organization. When you look outside, you know, I'm looking at businesses that 
you know, are, are harnessing this polarization that exists in society, and they're and they're basically recognizing that it it can increase sort of in group affinity. Absolutely. So an easy example here in the states, you know, Smith and Wesson is hasn't had a, a better sales quarter than it has this this past quarter, and why is that? You know, folks that were on the fence about buying a gun are buying them because they're concerned about whether they'll be able to buy them later. Um, it's a, it's a tough example, but it's a it's an example of taking advantage of polarization as it exists in society. Um, what's your take on companies that create polarization in the interest of enhancing sales? So this this, this is more about mm. businesses trying to rock the boat a little bit, take a, a severe position, create polarization, and then selling yeah uh you know uh, some people think coca-cola has done that over time and sort of that you know globalism one world kind of thing um they came out really strong first company out of the shoot during black lives matter they had dealt with rodney king issue 10 years earlier they knew exactly what they wanted to say and they said it without hesitation but that's okay. And and what that does is says to their employers and all the consumers of Coca-Cola products, you know, we care about these issues. We care about diversity. We really do. You know, that anthem that we sing is real. So tied to brand, where they got tripped up though, and, and they really did get tripped up, was when they had the legislation coming in, the voting legislation, and they said, they they kind of hung back for a while and they yeah. went oh that's that's just a that's yeah, a step to too far one. don't want to yeah. touch that yeah. what they had done though it's they'd raised massive expectations with aligned groups who you know bipoc groups diversity it was yeah. a really they were on that bandwagon and they were leading it and all of a sudden they hit the brakes really hard that caused them a lot of friction mm-hmm. and and i think disney to some degree had similar things happening. I, I think the, the key to all of that, I, I don't have a problem with somebody doing that. I think actually it's smart, but you better be agile and, and you better play out the trajectory of all of those things happening. At, and what are you going to do when? And right. you know certainly for Disney, they got hammered on the political side, but maybe they didn't longer term. And it looks like their their CEO is surviving. So maybe it's a longer sure. term strategy, but it better be a strategy. You don't play this game just yeah. Mess, yeah. messing around. Yeah. Right, right. You've got to be deliberate. I mean, I, I right. think of, of Ryanair, you know, mm-hmm. and in Europe and how they kind of create brand buzz around some of their mm-hmm. proposed controversial right. pricing changes, right? They right. there was some stuff around, well, we're gonna charge a surcharge for overweight passengers. Or, or we're gonna charge someone to use the loop. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and that kind of stuff creates friction, but they're able to use that friction to say, hey, look, we care more about our pricing than mm-hmm. anything else. We're gonna keep this a you know a low a low cost provider in this marketplace. Don't you want to fly Ryanair? You know? Well, look at Elon Musk. I mean, is there a guy who does it more extravagantly than, than <laughs> him? I mean, it, it's just he's out there in that space provoking all the time. And the guy's a proven innovator. So right. he he's willing to take that risk. Now, the question for him is whether his companies are coming alongside, but he's right. kind of running the ships. But yeah. it's a it's a culture thing. I 
what I keep saying, and, and I talk about this a lot in this yeah. new book, but is yeah. is what's your what's hold your on, value? Hold it right there, Donna. It's a great book, by the way. I want to plug uh, the book. Really you. terrific book. And I, it mentions dinosaurs, which is always a big hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to explain the dinosaurs. It's called Teaching yeah. the Dinosaurs to Dance. So so I, I have this woke dinosaur that travels around with me and, and uh, offers opinions, and I, I have him. And I also, I, my kids are horrified by this, but I do TikTok, <laughs> and I have these co conversations with this very, very grumpy dinosaur, yeah. cantankerous dinosaur named Rex. But what it's... it does is, is lets me play with conversations, like, how do you have conversations with people who really think differently than you do? And it's role playing in an exaggerated way. And TikTok's very safe, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's a way to talk through some of these really tough questions. And right. so this Rex, you know, throws crap at me and says, yeah, right. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to do this. Ho, ho, ho. And then I can play back. You know what that sounds yeah. like because no, we all live foil. it. We, we, yeah. yeah, it's a good foil. It's fun yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's go back to the to the question around the polarization thing and and being, you know, that some businesses choose to use it as a strategy. Uh, clearly, as you mentioned in, in a couple of the examples, it creates antagonism too. So, like right. a Coca Cola's got to deal with the haters that come along and Disney has right. to deal with the haters that come along. So, so does Ryanair, right? Right. So, and I'm concerned about how much they're going to charge me. Should I ever fly them? You know, so it's, <laughs> it's you know, of deep concern personally, but it seems that you're turning off. You've got to be willing to turn off wide swaths of yeah. customers when you play in this kind of game of leveraging polarization yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. to a, a growth goal or, or what have you. So do you think leaders need to play a role in tempering some of the antagonism that may be created through their very direct business strategies? I don't know. I think there are times when if the market is big enough and you're better playing certain target um, groups, uh, that's smart business. I, I don't think that's a bad thing to do. I think the trickier thing is not is not the market, it, it is the politics of it, and the it, politics is temporal. You're, uh, I know this. There are red states and there are blue states in the United States. So uh, you know, here is a Canadian opining on American politics. How that's a horrifying <laughs> thought. I shouldn't be doing that, but polit politicians do change. So if you've gotten in bed, in quotes, with the Republicans and something happens that there's a change in local politics in a more progressive way, how do you navigate that? And I think that's a bigger challenge. In, in other places in Europe and Canada, um, our politicians, we mix it up a lot more, she says. It's a bit, it's very polarized here too. I, I'd be lying to say otherwise. So you've got to decide that. If you've got to work with very conservative politicians and you're out on a progressive end somewhere, um, you're going to have to navigate that and you cannot avoid working with politicians as a business as much as you'd like to. And I get a lot of that because I was a politician for a while. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of people saying, I worked with CEOs who would say, I don't ever want to talk to politicians. And, and I worked all over the world. And, you know, they would say the same things. And I would say, well, 
tough. Like you have to, it's just not an option not to. And I think increasingly that's the case. And I'm not talking about, you know, like the coziness and that kind of stuff. I mean, that exists and it's real, but more the, we've got really big issues right now. Like food insecurity and mm. and and energy insecurity like those are some mm. of the biggest things that i've seen in my lifetime mm-hmm. so we need business to be working with with politicians on yes. answers on strategies and i'm not Pollyanna. i have not no there's no Pollyanna in this body i worked all over the world it genuinely has to happen so if you've put your your organization in such a box that you can't have that conversation mm-hmm. i think you've done a disservice so it's that's a tough thing to navigate. And I think it requires different leadership skills, Jim. That's that's another piece of this equation. Is, uh, do you absolutely. do you have the right leadership skills to do this work? Right. Yeah, and, and as a leadership coach, it is it is a theme that uh, I get on from time to time yeah. um, because it is such a challenging sort of thing to navigate as a leader. And the higher you are in the organization, the more the spotlight shines on you. Mm-hmm. But I would say this, I mean, to answer the question that I asked you, I, I, I would say, yes, definitely. The top leadership has to be concerned mm-hmm. about this, not only for the external market, right, where you've got sort of shifting, right. I don't know, brand reputations and stuff that could be impacted by the quote unquote haters, right? If you take an extreme position or try to leverage a, a polarized market. But also internally, because not everybody inside the organization is necessarily on the same side of that issue, whatever one you're going to put a stake in the ground on. And now you've got potentially uh, the risk of turning off major groups of employees, too. So it's really important for, for the top echelon of organizations to keep an eye on this stuff, be very careful in the way they choose to do these things. And also be very deliberate in their strategy settings. So they mm-hmm. recognize, as you mentioned earlier, be, they have to be ready to pivot. They have to be agile and be ready to pivot because, you know, if you're taking a polarized position, the opposite side's going to react. Let me, let me play off of something you said in your response, though, and that's that notion of sort of a leader as a statesman. Because clearly mm-hmm. there is an interdependency, as we talked about before we went live, right? The, between businesses and, and and the political, you know, environments that those businesses operate within, um, should they be taking a stance on these social issues? Should they be mm-hmm. kind of weighing in on political? topics <laughs> that in itself is a polarized question um Thank there you. are lo- yeah there are, <laughs> there are lots of people who say you know the business of business is still business and would you please get out of the space that's anything that's that, that's social responsibility that's that's for governance that's that governance places for politicians and and governments for the most part, though, most companies have in their value set some set of responsibility that extends beyond mere compliance with the rules and the laws. It just is the way that we're evolving. Um, some of it is legislated in some jurisdictions, and, and a lot of it is coming because it just makes good business sense. You can make more money. You can attract employees. You get stronger markets because you're doing it. And now because ESG environment social governance standards you also get better access to financing so it's a reality um we can argue about that and there are some very pure there are some purists who say you know get the heck out of this space it's not your space i think those days are gone so 
yes. So then the question becomes, if these are my values as an organization and I do go beyond compliance with laws and care about the environment or social standards and where, where I'm working and the space you're working in, or governance. Governance is actually one of those things that's kind of invisible, but boy, it's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, then what are you going to do? How? Because back to your point about misleading employees and your mm-hmm. internal teams, if you go out and say, you know, we value diversity and, and we're going to do everything we can to support, you know, um, inclusion, diversity, and access. Some people will interpret that as, well, then you better get everybody off your board who is yeah. is white right now, yeah. and you better replace them all. Um, right. Some of the big oil companies had this problem down in Texas with, with Pride Month came up or Pride Week. I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. We have Pride Month here in Canada in June, but I think you had something in May in, in the United States. And and their, some of their employees interpreted that as, well, we're going to put pride flags up on, you know, wave pride flags off our buildings. And then mm-hmm. the company said, no, no, we, we didn't mean that. Well, you know, you better clarify this because then right. they had set themselves up for a polarized um, sure. debate about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it distracted. Yeah. I mean, it, that's not a very energizing experience. Right. Back to your question about can that be good? But if it's a catalyst for a deeper conversation about what did we really mean? Yes. I'm all for yeah. that. Yeah, you know, it, interestingly, we, we tackled this question on an earlier episode mm. of the Indispensable Conversation, and we kind of landed in a place that basically, well, let me say this. I landed in a place that where you, you definitely have to take a position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess landed in yeah. a more neutral place. But at the end of it all, what we could agree uh both agree with and in fact we co-wrote an article about it later and it it came out in shrimp human resource magazine but it was this it was the notion that you've got to promote uh the conversation as a value as a corporate value so that people with differing opinions who have to work together can actually have a meaningful dialogue right not an argument not you know stop stop and feed and you know, yelling and screaming, but you, you've got to promote sort of a rational exchange of ideas inside. And if you start to do that, if leaders, top leaders start mm-hmm. to do that, it's our belief that, you know, in time, that's going to bleed out into the bigger society right. too, because everyone's working. Yeah. Everyone had, most everyone's working, right? So there's that, that mm-hmm. opportunity to learn new ways of communicating and understanding and listening, right? Um, not not arguing for the sake of arguing. I, I'm a big fan of that. What's your corporate culture for dealing with diverse points of view? Because mm-hmm. one of the things that is happening a lot on boards of governors, it's just shocking how many people mute themselves. Yes. Um, a lot of people that, you know, back to the apathy question, mm-hmm. how does that manifest? It manifests when people who really have something important to say choose not to say it because of the consequences of saying it. And a lot of, you know, there's, I think the woke thing is starting to vacillate back to something that's a little less heated um, and more normalized. But, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to say anything because I don't want to be bashed as somebody who's anti-woke. Uh, right. So the muting is a, I, I speak about muting all the time. I, I did a, valedictorian address recently it was all about that i i just think it's one of those phenomenons right now 
that is really toxic. It's yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Donna. You know, the, the, and it's scary mm -hmm. because if you are sort of not woke, now you've got to sit back and let all this sort of noise, because in your head it's noise if you're not yeah. agreeing, kind of just happen. And you feel guilty having an opposing point of view. So, I mean, one of the key things, kind of trying to draw it back to business a bit, one of the key things I think leaders need to be able to do is encourage dissenting opinions. Right. You've got to be able to invite people to express what they're thinking, because it's the best way, best path, right, to get to the best answer. Absolutely. If we're, if we're all homogeneous and seeing it all from the same lens, we're not mm -hmm. going to see the opportunities. We have blind spots. And we talk a lot about that in, yeah. in much of the coaching and consulting work that I do, too. It's, it's, and it's so prevalent. Right? It's, so, a human, it's a human condition. I, I, but mm -hmm. I don't think we know how to deal with dissent very well. And, I, I, you know, it depends on the leadership and the decision-making model. Mm -hmm. I write a whole chapter about decision-making in this book because I think it's so essential. Who makes your decisions? How do you make decisions? What do you do when somebody doesn't agree? Right. Just it's some of it. And, and then, and I'm a lawyer by training, so it's, it's on me, but we, we try to load things up with rules. Oh my God. Well, if we can't fix this with culture, we'll use process and we'll have yeah, right. all these rules for how you make decisions, which are right. totally useless because it right. takes a lot more time. Right. They don't work. They don't build the respect. And then the decisions made are undermined anyway. As a leader of a business, you know, if you can actually figure out a way to create the conditions for people to know that they're not going to get zapped if they have a different point of yeah. view. In fact, they might be rewarded for that yeah. um, to respectfully mentor that, to model it. I think that says so much about what you really mean, mean yes. about diversity. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's got to be deliberate. Thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it must be deliberate and, yeah. and reaching beyond your own organization to get diverse points of view, even opposing points of view. Yes. Why would you why would you do that? Um, I talk a lot about that in the book. I think that's if, if, if you want to move beyond the status quo, which I, I think we have to, um, there is no way you can do it without getting those other points of view. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think it's impossible. If you mm -hmm. stay with the same leadership skills, the same strategy, the same culture, and you think you're going to do something differently. I, def I, I think it's, it's an incredulous idea. Yeah, no, me too. Um, I want to get back and this may have to be our last question. I, I, I say that with regret because I think I could talk with you all day long, Donna. So hopefully folks will, will come on to LinkedIn Live and leave some comments there. But I want to amplify a point that you made around muting. And I know it's a topic that's near and dear to you. I know you write about mm -hmm. it a lot and speak about it a lot. But silence is a strategy too, right? And sometimes when top leaders are silent on these social polarizing issues, it's, it's almost like they're giving implicit support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think about Uber when they faced sort of that widespread boycott uh, during the silencing of the U.S. travel ban. You know, that was a big deal for, yeah, for that company. And they had yeah, to spin yeah, to be able yeah. to handle that. So it's an example of how silence can sort of be used as a, I don't know, a two-edged sword. But 
I want, I, I, I guess to end on mm -hmm. this, what's your take on silence as a strategy? I think two things. One is three things. Just because someone is silent doesn't mean you've changed their mind. And mm -hmm. I think that's an assumption that's flawed. Yeah. I think a leader being silent is sometimes interpreted as giving space for a discussion that's really important and that you're suspending the decision making mm. back to these new leadership skills. In fact, mm. that's a leadership skill I talk a lot about in the book is the idea of suspending. And that's exactly what Uber did. They suspended it. They said, we don't know the right answer right now, yeah. but boy, you must be clear on the fact that you are suspending and you are going to make a decision because you're going to get called out People will play you. They'll politicize right. it. They will right. manipulate it. Um, right. You better be absolutely deliberate and clear on that strategy because it will be taken out of your hands. And I see that happen an awful lot. So mm -hmm. it's a tricky strategy. Uh, I think creating a breathing space between polarities. I talk about that all the time. It's you saying, look, I have my views, but... I am going to create this space in our organization for us to have this conversation yeah. because I think it's a really important conversation. You're all not going to be happy with the outcomes because we cannot right. accommodate all of the outcomes right. and move forward. Namby Pamby is not an answer. <laughs> Lowest common denominator is not an answer. I feel so strongly about that. People talk about the mushy middle. The middle has got to be as passionate as the polls or else we will have nothing it's just yeah. no i love it and it's a great uh sentiment to end on mm -hmm. i will say this is in my closing remark on what you just said it takes courage and a lot of times leaders lack courage mm -hmm. um anyway donna thanks so much I, I really appreciate the time that you uh, invested in this conversation it was indispensable for sure mm -hmm. again i invite everyone to uh, leave comments on linkedin live and until next time Goodbye.